ahead and take your speed up your number one now, runway 27, clear to land, green dot. Welcome to Oshkosh, guys. Hello and welcome back to the Green Dot, EAA's podcast for anyone and everyone who loves aviation. I'm one of your hosts, and my name is Hal Bryan. I'm EAA's Managing Editor for Print and Digital Content and Publications. And uh, joining me over on my left, it is... Tom Sharpentier, Government Relations Director. And Tom, we are uh, once again very fortunate to have a uh, a recurring guest. He's uh, He kind of is to the Green Dot what, say, Steve Martin is to... Saturday Night Live, uh, and we mean that in the best possible sense. Uh, our uh, our chairman and CEO Jack Pelton. Jack, welcome back. Thanks. Good to be back. Uh, feels like it's been a while, but uh, it has been a while. But eh, we'll, we'll make up for lost time by having a great show. Absolutely, I'm sure that we will. So as we're recording this, uh, and and given the date that we expect it to uh, to go live, we are just about to the actual date, January 26th of the 70th anniversary of EA, you know, founded on that date, uh, Paul and Audrey Poboresny back in 1953 with that first meeting. Um, so to start things off, uh, Jack, as, as our current, uh, current leader and the one who's seen us through, uh, through so many amazing and tough times, uh, frankly, over the last several years, uh, what does that mean to you to sit here and, and think about the organization at 70 years old? Well, you know, Hal, it's interesting with this anniversary coming up, I would say prior to this year, um, you know, hadn't given it a thought until all of a sudden somebody says 70th anniversary. What does that mean to you, Jack? And it it makes me very reflective because it, I, it really causes me to take pause and think back about what EA has meant to me personally in my life, what it's like to have been a part of it, and then really what the impact of EA has been to the aviation industry. Um for, for my life, it's pretty straightforward and simple. It, it got me into aviation. So, you know, bravo without EA, who knows where I w- would have ended up or what I would have been doing. But, it, you know, it unlocked my passion and interest for aviation, which I made into a lifelong career. And and I'm finishing out that career here, here at EA. So very impactful just in that personal sense. And, and then I could get into lots of ways as to how that happened. But, sure. you know, as, as a uh, – a kid whose dad was a member of Chapter One—that that was the entry point, if you will. Um, and being an aviation family helped too. But EA became the organization. You know, I'm mentioning other organizations. You know, AOPA to a young kid doesn't mean anything. You know, you're not an aircraft owner. Or, <laughs> no offense to our friends in Frederick. No, but. not at all. And I <laughs> wasn't until years later that I needed their legal services. No, just kidding. It, uh, um, so it, you know, it it was very important because it was that grassroots hands-on ability to go to an airport and and uh, we didn't have a young eagles program there but we had lots of people that were interested in helping young people understand flight and getting rides and it, just the, the whole engagement that goes with it um you know later to think at this point in my life that i'd actually be leading the organization was not even on the radar not even possible wasn't you know even a thought because I had retired from Cessna and planned on staying retired from Cessna. <laughs> and then we we got our hooks into yeah, it. Yeah, but, you know, that's that's enough about kind of the personal stuff. It, what it really made me think about is the, the organization's true impact and where it has gone. And I, I kind of think back wondering if the founding fathers um, that sat around the table with Paul and Audrey, would they have any idea what impact – in a positive way that they've really made for that they have made for aviation in the general aviation space, and where it has where EA as an organization has come, what their the organization's 
uh, impact on the regulatory environment, the the supporting the freedom to fly, to creating, you know, uh, being part of the creation. They, well, they didn't personally create it, but the experimental mem- experimental amateur built category of airplanes um, as what I imagine at the time they thought was going to be a hobby, just something fun to do for people who are innovators and dreamers and could could build something and actually fly it. But in their wildest dreams, could they think that with that it, to here we sit today and it's the largest growing sector in general aviation, that there's more experimental amateur built airplanes registered on an annual basis than there are the part 23 uh, competitors? I mean, who would have who would have thought that that impact would have been where where it has has gone and gone from what back then people thought were very risky, wacky designs that uh, um, were not well engineered Um you know, it was, it was just kind of the Wild West, if you will, to some of the most well-engineered, sophisticated, uh, performance-based balance of fuel speed, useful load of any products being offered by any company out there today. It's, it's truly remarkable. And, it, and I think as a part of it, again, the pure reflection part of, of 70, 70 years is um, the ups and downs that happen in the economies and in aviation and other places, that, that that segment's been a big underpinning of what's kept rural aviation alive at some of these small airports and other places. Um, and, and, you know, you can't – we can argue, we can debate, but I always look – use a sports analogy. Look at the scoreboard. That tells the, tells the story if you have the purest raw numbers of what has, has happened over the years. So, Jack, and, and you, you've touched on a bunch of this already, but it, it is kind of a remarkable evolution as an organization, too. I mean, it, it basically began as a social club in Milwaukee for, uh, well, social club, affinity club for people who uh, who are building their own airplanes or interested in that, um, into an international organization with a full-time staff and, um, you know, advocacy and, and, and everything else that goes into it. Um, what is that? Yeah, well, what does that evolution kind of mean to you, and how how do you navigate that? Uh, you know, as as we move forward, um, you know, from a, from a very personal small group into a, you know organization of whatever we at two hundred seventy eighty thousand members. You know, Tom. To, before I answer the question directly, I think you, you brought up something that really is of interest. If you were to write the story and really do a detailed chronicle of of these seventy years and in, in the future. Some of the points you brought up are, are interesting to think, how did that happen? Because advocacy, as an example, which has now gotten to be a significant piece of what we do. I mean, I think behind the actual Air Venture uh, Oshkosh piece, advocacy is one of the number one reasons people part of the part of the organization, along, along with chapters. And it's right up there with publications, uh, Jack. <laughs> I, I need to point that out. I, I, yeah, I didn't want to, as publisher of the magazine, I didn't want to. You know, over, I, oversell. Please feel free to pat yourself on the back, back Mr. Publisher. Uh, it, would, it would mean a lot to nope. the rest Let's of us. Let's go back to where I was going on <laughs> on the detailing of the history, though. So you get these these folks, like minded folks, that are, are have got this passion, and they realize that there's a lot of um, potential hurdles, barriers, or a, a, a regulatory environment that they've got to navigate through to be able to make their dreams a reality in, in making that happen. So here comes the first piece of EA's growth as to what they, what they, how they started and what they become by adding these pieces. So the advocacy piece, along with the club 
Um, how do you refer to it? I didn't want to say separate club, but or affinity club. Affinity or club. Yeah, yeah. So they're starting to get, develop structure. So now they're starting to f- develop as that club. There's the need to meet, want, and, and talk about the airplane stuff. But now they need people who are professionals that can help them with the, the environment that they're working in. So you're seeing these pieces grow around them that become what EA is today. That become very significant, very integrated into what the overall EA mission is and part of what the actual organization structure becomes. So, you know, you, you got the, the group that gets together, the air show. So they, they've kind of built kind of some capability and capacity to run an annual event, an air show event, which as we know, grows and grows and ex- explodes and goes in different directions. You got this advocacy piece that, that comes along and eventually you're going to get a newsletter that ends up becoming a world-class magazine that's a, an offering in it. It's just, I think if we took all the pieces over time and looked how it, you know, and then a foundation and then a museum, it's very, very interesting. And I think, you know, back to your your um, vernacular, how, you know, the evolution of how right. this how this evolved and how the where we are today, those growth pieces were absolutely necessary to be able to create the mission that it's performing today. Well, and I, I think that that word evolution is is an important one and an especially interesting one because you know, number one, I, I you know knowing what I know of Paul and my interactions I had with him, and certainly all the time spent sort of reading his early writings and things like that. He was he had uh, he had terrific forethought. But I don't, you know, for a moment, I don't think anybody thinks they sat down in that first meeting in the basement with thirty six people and said, "Yeah, one day we're going to have about a quarter million." members and you know and we're going to have visitors from 90 plus countries come to the biggest aviation event in the world i don't i don't think that was part of the ever part of the plan and there's something about the idea that the organization has grown and evolved and has iterated in response to needs of the members um, and the interests and you know all these other forces that number one, it uh, to me, it kind of aligns with the DIY spirit of the group. Uh, you know that that has p- still pervades uh, so much of what we do. But I I think that's in some ways it's almost the only way it could have grown. I think if Paul had sat down and said, "Okay, men, you know, let's we're going to have this uh, organization, and by seventy years from now, we're going to have a quarter million plus members, and we're going to do this, this, and this," I, I I don't think there's a concrete rational manageable plan to get from there to here without just letting it grow naturally but but i think that's a piece of this again this complicated story of the uniqueness of paul's leadership style because the one thing he didn't do was put barriers on anything and in his indirect way he also supported anything as possible and so he it's it's kind of a very interesting leadership study also in how he was able to help get it to where it is today well, I think one thing that really sets EAA apart as an organization, and it's part of that evolution and part of, well, what Paul cultivated and, and, and what the other leaders of the organization have cultivated, is is the very central role of ordinary people, volunteers in the organization. I mean, it, it first started as a purely volunteer organization, um, and then it began to add staff as it went along as it as it saw needs um and you you mentioned jack the advocacy department it's actually a really good example and kind of timely actually because the very first full-time advocacy staffer at eaa recently passed away charlie Mm -hmm. shuck at 103 um 
and uh, and he he joined the organization after I think something like a I think it was like a fifty year FAA career, <laughs> and then oh then did another twenty with us just because you know this is this was the organization he wanted to work with. But um, even in a highly specialized role like advocacy, we are highly reliant on volunteers, and that uh, that I think is a uh, is something that really as an advocacy organization, maybe not even in aviation, just overall, um, that's kind of unique. It's very, very unique, especially yeah. when you talk about um, a lot of these are very, very skilled professional support when we have with our legal advisory team, our medical advisory team, um, the folks in the advocacy, our, our, our people that help us on the Hill. The fact they still want to do this as volunteers is incredible because, you know, they're what they're capable of in billable hours. Yeah. <laughs> or not necessarily the hours, but the, the rate that they yeah. can be. And, and they're doing all that pro bono. Because of the mission. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, Jack, your point was uh, really kind of hit me pretty hard. It was very profound when you talked about Paul's leadership style and about about removing barriers. You know, we've 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 talked a bit uh, just around the office over the last few years about uh, about how surprisingly prescient and progressive uh, those early meetings were with by, you know, the March 1953 issue of Experimenter. It, it mentions from the minutes of those early meetings, I believe it was probably the second meeting, um, but it may have even been the first where they said, uh, do we allow everybody to join? I think that was the first. That may well, it may well have been the first. I know it was reported yeah. in March from the minutes, so it's hard to tell with the lead time. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and it was it was voted on. And, of course, 70 years later, it feels sort of appalling that somebody might ask the question, do we restrict memberships based on race or gender? But at that time, that was exceptionally common. That was, uh, unfortunately, that was a very ugly norm. And, and it was decided, no, it's open to everybody. And so when we talk about – it's a fascinating combination of – this concept of evolution and growth and and just moving and expanding and responding as the needs come along it's 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 missing some of uh, what some people would call the rigidity of an absolute you know 70 year plan but it's replacing that with something magnificent which is the the freedom um, Paul may not have said we're going to have 270,000 members but he never said we weren't he never said we weren't going to grow uh, and and didn't do those things that would have slowed that down. Yeah, and I, I think you know part part of that is again his focus on what they were trying to do and accomplish and make available to people, and not getting hung up in metrics of success being measured on how many are doing that. I mean, I think that's a piece of it also as to you know what, what you're what you're counting uh, to him was not the important part. It was what you were doing with your hands and what you were doing um, in aviation. Absolutely. So of course, an, another completely, a, a, another side of the organization, uh, but of, of course, a very important side of the organization has been the, the event, what has become air venture, which started off as the, uh, as the EAA convention, which started at Timmerman airport that very first year with, uh, what was it? How 21 airplanes, something like that. And now we're at 10,000 uh, <laughs> over the course of the week. Um, and, the interplay between 
Airvent, what has become Airventure and and EAA has always been kind of interesting. You know, the, the how much does the event further the organization, and how much does the organization further the event? Or maybe to put it differently, is it an event with an with an association or an association with an event? How do, how has that played out over the years? That that's been been an interesting interesting piece of it because actually they're well they 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 work together. They are truly separate in many many ways, especially about what. They're trying to accomplish because I think, I think the convention and as everybody, you know, it was the con- con- convention. It really was the celebration for the members, and the members were there to exercise their member voting rights and, and all of that kind of stuff. And then when Paul handed it, handed the convention over to Tom, Tom took a totally different approach to looking at the convention and saying. We're going to turn this into an aviation expo for general aviation like none other. And he he really, t- I think, took a, a separate lens that said, let's not constrain it by just the being a member-only kind of event, very focused only on the very specific things that, that EA does, and said, let's make it the big tent that has all things aviation in it. Um, and that's when it got into you know much more of the the large exhibitors by – aircraft manufacturers and suppliers and components and 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 yet kept what I think was very important for the members and 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 what the convention stood for which was the forms of seminars the education pieces of it and uh, he, he by by putting that formula in place it again created a whole bigger set of Potential, you know, the canvas got much bigger. The tent then included far more than what anybody had originally envisioned, um, and yet we've been able to make them both work very, the association and the event, very much together. And and it, I think it it represents that as the as the the association went then from home building to its divisions of vintage and and IAC and Warbirds to now representing and being advocates for all things inside of, of aviation, um, including the, the business side of it. Uh, and, you know, here we, here we are today, um, I think pretty well established as if you're going to recommend or you want to be at the one aviation event that gives you an opportunity to see all things in aviation, uh, you know, include besides the civilian side, even the military side, in this country or any other country, this is it. Well, it's really interesting to me. I hadn't really thought of in these terms before, but you know, we 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 quote a lot of Paulisms around the office, and and um, you know, one of them uh, was one he used to say in response to, well, you know, uh, the the fly in the convention, it needs to be just home built. So I don't want to see these antiques and these warbirds or things like that. Sometimes you had people with those attitudes. And you know Paul's response to that sort of famously was, "Well, you know, tell me who we should turn away." Yeah, that's and classic line. That's that's classic, and that 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 builds perfectly on what you were saying about he's he's not he's just making sure there's no barriers and things like that. So in in many ways, uh, with Tom Tom's transformation of the event, he was really just adhering to that same spirit, wasn't he? He he really was, and uh, I think the you know the other piece of it that that he helped solve was for an association to continue to grow and thrive and have the offerings that we have for, you know, a very modest membership fee to be able to have publications and webinars and advocacy and all that stuff. It did also require a revenue stream that was far greater than just what membership would cover. So the, 
the the air venture then did help prevent help provide that revenue for the organization to continue and build and grow and, and be able to do more, uh, especially when you talk about our youth education programs and uh, the things that have have been so important, so successful. That became the revenue to do that. Right. So, it, you know, again, it's funny how they all kind of cross, they intersect again one more time to where it now makes a lot of sense as to why they're not one one or the other. They are very importantly yeah, very, together. Very symbiotic. And I always try to think about this. And I've, uh, I've never really found anything. I just don't know. Are there, are there other associations or industry groups out there that have a membership convention that attracts, you know, two and a half times as many people as they have members. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I just, I think about trade shows and things like that, that I've either been involved with or even aware of. And I, I'm hard pressed to come up with uh, an, an allegory or an analog, excuse me. Well, you do see, yeah, I mean, you see trade associations and, you know, other groups, um, you know, come together over a specific event. Like, you know, motorcyclers have Sturgis. You uh, know? Sure, that's true. And and it's interesting to see, you know, how the community coalesces. Or they, they all kind of decide, okay, this is going to be our big event. And, you right. know, EAA, through through skill and fortune, became that for, for aviation. Became for aviation. Yeah. I guess what, it, what I don't know is just my ignorance about something like Sturgis, very aware of it as an event. But I don't know, is, is there a central organization and that's there? event and everybody else comes or is it more I, I i was under the impression it started more as a gathering of a whole bunch of yeah. uh, smaller groups and things but yeah I've, I've been to sturgis and i i would say it's more of it's it's not an association by any means but it's more of a community that is band together to welcome the motorcycle groups in and turn it into an economic uh boon for the whole community <laughs> yeah. area and side businesses have popped up with campgrounds and all that kind of stuff but much different, I think. You know, I'm trying to look at other associations that they really are gathering to meet with just their members. I mean, they just it doesn't have a public piece to it. Right. Open the general public, come on in and oh. learn about model trains. Right. It seems sort of just just to pick a topic out yeah. of the air. It, or it I was going to say the ham radio clubs. I mean, of sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And, it, and it's and it, that's understandable. You know, I belong to this association. We've got membership business to to account for it's you know you sort of expect that and it's it's amazing and it it's I mean, it's staggering how fortunate we are uh to be in the position that we're in that that we're able to do both and and navigate both um you know not to just pat ourselves on the back but frankly as smoothly as we do and of course it's you know we all we owe so much of that to the what six thousand volunteers who who make the event truly happen you know, and the the other piece of that, Hal, when you're trying to figure out, how, is there anything similar? There's one thing we have that is very, very popular with the public, and that is the interest of flight. Right, and, and that's you know that is a draw. That you know, when you when you see the when you're walking around the grounds and you see that six year old pointing to the sky, and in an you know an airplane, that's attractive to the masses. So it it definitely helps you from a providing something that has a great interest by so many so many people absolutely i i uh, have said this many many times and i've said it to a lot of you know people who are new to ea when they start working here and and that is to never lose sight of how how lucky we are and there's no disrespect to anyone in any other industry but we're not you know we don't come to work every day to convince everybody that our brand of laundry detergent is a little better than the other one you know, we got to try to convince you. We got to try to sell you on that. 
we come to work every day because on some level, you know, huge numbers of people want to fly and, and we can help make that happen. We can help guide them to it and educate and inspire and all those other things that we do. And that is, uh, that is just such a leg up and makes, I think that has a huge impact on, uh, morale and and everything else and people's attitudes is that we're not trying to trick you into anything just saying hey we do this we love it you you probably would too yeah absolutely so in addition to we talked about volunteers being uh, a, a major thing that sets our association apart we talked about of course the convention setting our association apart another big thing that sets eaa apart is the chapter network we have all over the country we have real boots on the ground and, you know, associations, associations of an association that you can join uh, pretty much anywhere in the country. And Jack, you might be um, uniquely positioned to talk about that as a, a growing up in Chapter One. Um, I think that's a very interesting story. Why is Chapter One in Southern California and not Milwaukee, for example? Well, Chapter One's in, in uh, Southern California because of Ray Stitz. So Ray was one of, one of Paul's buddies who was... Uh, I don't know if you call him the father of – it's not the father of fabric airplanes, but but of fabric that you produce to be able to put on airplanes that are built, and uh, which was instrumental in all the early home belts that were stick and fabric kind of tube and, tube and fabric construction. And so he was very close to, to Paul and was very encouraging in the creation and formation of, of EA itself. I still don't know why Paul didn't give Milwaukee the number one number. I mean, it, it went to Ray as his closest friend, who I believe Paul flew out to see him, and, and Ray offered, to, I'm going to create a chapter out here and uh, put his stake in the ground. Well, my understanding was that the, um, the, the headquarters group in Milwaukee was basically, they didn't consider themselves, they considered themselves to be the, like an association, the headquarters association, and the chapters were kind of satellite EAAs early on. Um, at least that was my understanding because I, I still have like an old uh, patch from Milwaukee and it's actually got HQ on it. Oh, okay. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, that's and, and and I'm assuming the Milwaukee chapter came later because to your point, there, you had HQ there. So you, why why do you need a chapter? Yeah, I believe they took 18 because it was the lowest number that was available when they finally formed a chapter. <laughs> <laughs> and interestingly, now we've got Chapter 252 right here in Oshkosh, and there's you know there's no there's no sort of dichotomy or no sort of confusion or question around that. It's a, it's a strong active chapter and, and uh, you know, just one of, uh, I think we just passed 900 chapters. Yes, we did. So, which is, which is amazing. And, uh, you know, certainly largely in, in the U S and in a number in Canada, but several in uh, other parts around the world as well. There, there certainly are, you know, international chapters, maybe not quite as um Certainly not in the in this numbers because recreational flying is so different in all the different parts of the world. Uh, but so, I would say equally as enthusiastic as we all know when the South Africans come to <laughs> Oshkosh in July, they're the most fun people to be or, be around because they come uh, in in strong support. I mean, literally 150 of them will, will show up, which is impressive to make that kind of long journey. But you know, Tom, to the chap the the chapter piece is. Uh, I don't know sometimes if people understand. I mean, that it's very local. It's at the local, local airports. It's their own independent group that we at, we at headquarters help provide uh, programming for them to do with the, the biggest program that we started uh, over 25 years ago was the Young Eagle program. 
um, which encouraged chapters to go out and volunteer their time and their airplanes and their fuel to give young people their first flight in a, in a small airplane, um, which gave chapters also a sense of purpose to be able to introduce flight to young people, which is uh, pretty incredible when you think about it. And, and certainly the where the program has gone and where it's continuing to go um, has remarkable success. The, the, the stories are, are endless that come out of that young person that's take, taken that flight and goes on to do incredible things in aviation. And, you know, I, I, you, you love, somehow I wish we could just document and do the, would probably be an encyclopedia of stories of, uh, I mean, people have, when I'm at the Young Eagle Awards dinner, at the, you know, you'll hear a guy that's taken a, guy, taken a young kid up. The kid has stayed in contact with him as he's progressed through college, becomes a blue angel, goes on to fly for the airlines. And you're like, goodness gracious to say, you don't think, hey, he's, that's all because of me. Right. Yeah. It's, it's so fantastic to see that. And it's, it's interesting, uh, too, as we've talked about uh, evolution and, you know, and a lack of barriers and, and not necessarily a specific plan to hit these gigantic numbers and things that we so enjoy now. But um, but there, there was an exception around the Eagles program. It was launched in 92. Uh, it was launched around an extremely audacious goal. And it's interesting to me that it, it's almost like as an organization, we said, you know, we don't, uh, we don't often put out a, 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 a big plan and a big number. We don't often go out there and say, boy, we're going to have, you know, 500,000 people coming to Oshkosh for air venture. We, we don't often do that, but this was, it was worth making an exception because, because we, we wanted to, to challenge the members. We knew that, uh, that this was something that, you know, every member has to sort of be on board with and support. And that was of course to say, uh, in, it was basically was the 11 year time frame by December of 2003 to give a million kids their airplane rides. And that's, you know, you, you look, you look back on that and that was an incredible goal. And we could have said a hundred thousand and it would have been remarkable. Let's just a minute. That was playing crazy. I mean, that was, it really just, was. That was nuts. To, and, and, and here we are approaching 3 million. Right. Yeah. Marching our way along yeah. and we, you know, yeah. Thank goodness for for the for the chapters and incredible network of volunteer pilots and um, you know I think for for any of us that have done that kind of flying it's some of the most rewarding flying you can ever do um, but you're right it was I, I I was I was putting too broad a point on it it was just nuts to come <laughs> out and say we're going to do a, fly a million kids you might as well have said a, a you know a billion or a zillion I mean it was just um, and yet it uh, it happened people just got on board and believed in it and i it it's i think it's me it's one of the one of the absolute top shining examples of the eaa spirit well and how the uh you know the point that um we we just made on the on the convention you know basically that the expansion of air venture or what became air venture eaa convention um made the organization more inclusive of everybody who showed up um young eagles has kind of done the same thing on uh for our chapters you know if you want to fly young eagles and plenty of people do you you associate you join with your local chapter which we're hardly the we're, we're not necessarily the only game in town but in at many airports your eaa chapter is the closest thing you have to a um 
I wouldn't say a flying club because that implies, you know, ownership of an aircraft, but, you know, a club for people who fly and are interested in airplanes on the local level. But, you know, Tom, I think to your your point, though, also it's the only point for young people to get onto the airport. Yeah. I mean, nowadays with the – the you know they're not exactly warm and inviting like they used to be. They got fences all around them, but here you have a a group that's inviting you in and um, then offering you know being able to take you up for a ride and and then be able to have the support after that flight through that chapter and the people that are that are in the in the chapter uh, encouraging young people with their aviation dreams. Yep. Um, not to to ter- make turn left on you, but there was just the other just this week or actually it was last week there was. Uh, Young Eagle, a guy that a young kid that took a Young Eagle ride, got a, a part, was an active participant in the chapter and got became a race scholar, which is our scholarship program that gets you uh, the money to be able to learn to fly. Gets his pilot's license and forms his own chapter, forms another chapter, and is the president and becomes the first one in the chapter to give the Young Eagle first Young Eagle ride for that chapter. Again. This this did something to this person. This clearly affected the individual in an incredibly positive way right. to want to get totally immersed in aviation. It it really is amazing. And you know, you mentioned the the race collar program and stuff. And that's something else that has been such a great uh, sort of uh, adjunct, if if you will, to the Young Eagles program. In that, uh, yeah, we've been involved and in, we've done other scholarships and things over the years, and we've you know. We, we advocate and we support and we, we encourage and we inspire. But my gosh, thanks to the, the Ray Foundation, I've, I've even lost track of how much we're able to give away every year. I know it was up to $1.2 million at one point. And that's, you know, that's, uh, that's not giving a whole bunch of people a little bit of a boost. It's saying, here's the funds you need to go from zero to pilot. And, uh, and, how how fortunate we are to have that support, but also to be the the organization that's positioned to be able to do something about it with that chapter network and all the mentors out there and the you know young eagles coming in and then chapters being able to say you know what this one has the bug and and we want to help because it's you know flying isn't uh, isn't cheap yeah, it's they, cheaper here than most places but the, and the unique part of how the chapter plays into the program is. Um, well, they sponsor the young young individual. They uh, also are the mentors and coaches to make sure that they help them get through it. And because of that, we have an over 80% completion rate of those who have received scholarship money have completed their private pilot's license. Jack, I think, uh, you know, the pilot shortage in the um, you know the, the the fact that air you know entry level airline jobs are getting better and better is probably part of it. But I think the race scholar program has also had a, a pre has an appreciable effect on. I just go to a chapter and. I see I see the chapter getting I see aviation overall getting younger, which is a really, really positive thing. Um, I don't have the numbers to back that up, but just anecdotally going to my local chapters, I'm seeing more and more younger people, people younger than me uh, in there, which is uh, which is really great. And for those of you who can't see us, Tom is the young one here. Right. He, is, uh, he normally would even be sitting at the kids' table. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, yeah. He's at the adults' table. Well, and it's, it's so exciting, too, to see, uh, you know, there's so many – terrific chapters out there that are full of great people. But uh, I think we've all seen chapters that get together and and meet, but sometimes it feels like maybe they're in search of a mission or in search of, you know, some core set of goals and, and being able to have them choose and then mentor 
kids to go through this whole process uh, is just incredible. With um, so the Ray Scholar program, the the Build and Fly program, all these other things that that have built on that uh, incredible Young Eagles Foundation. I just there's a couple things I do want to make sure we mention because we started out uh, talking about advocacy. And I didn't actually, or the three of us didn't actually add the proof points of how important and what EA advocacy has done over 70 years, which has been everything from, uh, you know, building on onto the home building, the regulatory environment to help help fly um, from a from a, anywhere in the United States, to the auto fuel STC, to the LSA regulations and rules, to basic med. Um, to what we hope will be in the next couple of years, Mosaic, which is a new a growth initiative uh, around light sport in EAB. Um, these these are really meaningful things that have made a di- made a difference in helping GA um, be more viable, but also grow. And so, uh, you know, I, I don't want to I don't want people to just hear us have platitudes about advocacy without understanding the nuts and bolts of the of the great stuff that has been done. And then at the convention. Uh, becoming Air Venture, the milestones, which I hope in the recent edition that has a 70th anniversary of what we always term as only at Oshkosh, of things that have happened um, that people can come here and see that you cannot see anywhere else in the world quite often. You don't have access to with the Concorde landing here and Spaceship One, and it goes on and on. Uh, you know, The thing that's still, when you look back, it kind of it's very remarkable to think that I believe all of the the Apollo astronauts were EA members at one point in time, um, it, and they didn't. They wasn't because we signed them up. I mean, that's right. they joined and they participate and they would come and they would do forums and they would talk. Um, we've had some just rec- incredible history of people who have found EA to be a home to them when they are people in their own right that have their own aviation legacy to them, and it's you know they don't they don't need EAA, but we became an organization they wanted to be a part of, which I think says a lot about the sustainability and who EA is. And so when you look going forward, you know, the next 70 years, um, we, we have really kind of re-energized and reinvigorated the organization to continue to build on that. Um, the convention is certainly showing that with the, the, the number of, as we always say there, we want to have somebody, something there for everybody that comes. So if you're interested in World War II planes or home builds or innovation or VTOLs or space or anything, It'll be there and it'll be supported by over 700 forums and workshops to continue to, in, in, you know, in grow your education around those diff- various topics, uh, which is a big piece. And, of course, our, our youth programming, which is the cornerstone of what we believe over the next 70 years is we have to create the next generation and make sure that sitting around this table at, uh, in, at some point in time is going to be the same passionate people that will keep it going for another 70 years. Right. You're here. So... 30 years from now, um, some people will be celebrating 100 years of, of EAA. Is there anything, if somebody could come back from that era and, and give you a snapshot of the organization, what, what could they tell you, uh, Jack, that would make you the happiest? That we preserve the culture. So EA and, the, and Air Ventures, we know it as being one of the most friendly, uh, caring environments in the world that people care about people and take care of people and are, are keep the grounds clean and enjoy it, that that has been preserved. And the volunteerism 
has remained intact, that we have generations of volunteers that are ensuring that they're preserving the, the air venture, and that the association hopefully will have, I mean, in, in the 100-year the person looking back telling me is they have now really embraced um, innovation and they have successfully brought on what the new generation of aviation, I'll call them vehicles or whatever they may be, um, that are now, you know, have met the environmental requirements that are even more efficient, that are even safer than ever before. And it has created, has preserved a transportation node, even though we don't necessarily think of general aviation, that, but it really in some ways is, um, with the same interest and excitement that we had back when you were there, Jack. Here, here. Well, I can't think of a better way to, uh, uh, to close this out and, uh, and who knows, you know, this, uh, this episode is going to be out there on the internet. Somebody might be listening to this in 30 years and, you know, look back and, and, uh, boy, let's, uh, let's hope that they, they are saying and thinking exactly what you just laid out, Jack. That was terrific. I hope to still be here in 30 years. I know you will <laughs> be. I, I mean, I, I do, I will be so bold as to predict that maybe you will have figured out what retirement means by then. Well, I'm not going to be here working. I'm, I'm, gonna be, I'm just making it. I'm going to be. I'm just making a bold I'm going to be complaining that I have to park too far away, but. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. Well, Jack, uh, as always, thank you so much uh, for joining us. It's really been uh, been an inspiring discussion and it's. It's nice to to pause once in a while and, and look back and what, what better time than an anniversary to do that. Uh, thank you, of course, also, uh, as always, to the listeners out there uh, without whom the, the, we wouldn't be able to do this show. For, uh, those of you that send us notes that uh, give us good reviews on iTunes and other places, um, a quick hello and thank you to, uh, uh, to Don, or excuse me, it was Dan Knight, left us a, a very nice review of a, of a recent, uh, recent podcast episode about our Corsair exhibit. Mm. Um, we love seeing those things, and he did that at uh, inspire.ea.org, where each episode has a landing page. You can leave comments directly there. Otherwise, leave your reviews on iTunes, like we said, and uh, you can send us an email or uh, other messages directly at feedback at ea.org, and those will get to us. And with that, thanks as always for listening, and we'll catch up to you next time when you're cleared to land on the Green Dot. Green Dot.